the Empire Podcast this week, the man of a thousand faces and voices, Andy Circus, drops by to talk about Black Panther, plus all the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that is regretting getting Siri onto last week's podcast and not asking her or him to say this. Where's the handle? Where is it? I must find it. He needs the axe. Please help. I have run out of material. I have run this joke into the ground and it is all I have. I am so alone. Hello Pod, I'm Chris Stewart and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Brought to you once again by Sky Cinema, the dedicated home for movie lovers. Later in the show, I will, as usual, be pointing out a couple of movies you can watch on Sky Cinema. Just two from the thousand plus films available on demand, including a brand new premiere every single day of the week. How exciting. Exciting stuff. You excited, Helen? The trailer for How to Train Your Dragon 3 has just dropped. Oh my god. Whee! This week I am joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up, as you've just heard, is our geek queen, who can be found moonlighting from time to time on rival podcasts, you never see me doing this, like the you Story liar. Geeks. It's Helen O'Hara. You liar. Well, I've never been in the Story Geeks. Okay, true, but... You know, only because you haven't organised it. Mm-hmm. What podcasts are floating your boat at the moment, Helen? What, what's what's um, exciting you? Well, I had a really good time talking to to them. They were great fun. Um, hello, Jay and Daryl. That was great. Yep. And um, and obviously the Cinemile. We've both Cinemile. We both been on that one. Yes. You have been on it more than once. I will do anything. Yeah, that's true. Actually, you're a tart because I uh, maybe they paid you. I don't know. They didn't pay me. They paid me in in, in kindness. Oh. I paid well. them in wisdom, <laughs> and they paid me uh, in kind. I didn't. Which was, they gave me nothing. I didn't know you had any wisdom to pay with. Nor did I. Oh. Who knew? I was ransacking my trousers, and I found some wisdom. That sounds rude. Didn't mean it to. Anyway, uh, what other podcasts have you been listening to? <laughs> um, that's about all. I mean, obviously, the West Wing Weekly, which I've been obviously. listening to for a while, but I'm still way behind on. Um, and, uh, and the Thrilling Adventure Hour, which I just listened to old episodes of because I've heard them all now. It's good stuff. Mm. It's good stuff. I thought, you know, it's never too late to change. And True. I thought, you know, last week we had a little bit of a nice chat about the TV shows we were watching. And I thought every week when I introduce you guys, maybe we should have a little chat about what we're reading or what we're listening to or what we're watching. You wow. know, just shake things up. Wow. Well, you should ask Johnny what he's reading. Well, hang on a second. Oh, I'm sorry. Give it I'm Jesus. not introduced yet. It's <gasps> not introduced. That's, Spoiler. Yeah, exactly. Ruined it. Ruined it. Get out. No. Okay. <laughs> if you had been like, hey, Johnny, do you want to do a podcast? <laughs> Just the two of us for the next hour? Absolutely. Uh, next up is a man who, like me, is a massive fan of the boys from Athens, Georgia, R.E.M. It's Johnny Pyle. How are you, Johnny? I'm very well, Chris. How are you? I'm good, good, good. Uh, you listen to any podcast, anything floating your boat at the moment? What's, what, are you, what are you excited about? You know What's, there is. What, what is it, Johnny? Uh, I'm uh, binge listening, and I've actually just got to the end of the, the most recent episode, so I now have nothing to listen to. Uh-huh. Uh, it's called... Oh, my God, hang on. It's called uh-huh. Are You Talking R.E.M. Re-Me. That's a very exciting... Hang on a second. Wait a second. Is this an episode of Are You Talking, Are You Talking R.E.M. Re-Me? Re-Me? I think it might be. Uh, welcome to another episode of Are You Talking, Are You Talking, R-E-M, Re-Me, Re-Me. Uh, I'm Chris. And I'm Johnny. 
Uh, and we're talking about Are You Talking R.E.M. Remy, which is a fantastic uh, podcast for R.E.M. fans. But what, what sets it apart from all the other... Because there are thousands, literally thousands. I mean, well, it's incredibly funny. It's um, Adam Scott, who you will know from... Um, Helen knows who he is. Yeah. Do you know him? Yeah. He's in Step Brothers. Yeah, yes. well, that's... Yeah. <laughs> that's the only known from Step Brothers. <laughs> I mean, no one knows him in anything else. I don't like, know him in that or Big really? Little Lies or I, nothing. No. Step Brothers uh, is where people know him from. Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, what else? Parks and Rec? He's Mr. Like... Nope in Parks and Rec. He is Mr. Nope, yeah. 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 Did he take her name? Is that how it works? No. Oh, okay. But it should yeah. be. He, he would have done because he he's, he's, done, he's, he's that, progressive. He's that woke. So. He, he's, he's a woke nope. Sure. Ben yes. Wyatt, woke nope. Uh, what else? So yes, this is it's a, him and it's Scott yeah. Ackerman and they. Uh, well, Adam Scott is the big REM fan and they go album by album, wow. track by track, episode by episode, talking about REM. That sounds cool. It is cool because actually they are very very funny together. <laughs> yes, and they know I they know they know a lot. And even if you like, you're not quite up on the albums. I think that there is certainly interest in you know what they think about it. They're they're their jokes are certainly very, very funny. And they did a U2 one before, which and I don't really have any much interest in U2, yeah. but actually I'm going to go back and listen to that. Uh, it's called... Uh, it's called... Are you t- you, no, it's called You Talking U2 to Me. And uh, I didn't listen to it. And then they, they did an REM one, and I was like, yeah, I love REM, so I'm going to listen to that. And then mm-hmm. I went back and started listening to some of the U2 one. The U2 one culminated in them interviewing U2 for over an hour. And Does it's it really? an adorable episode because they're both really, really nervous. Right. Aww. Scott Ackerman's interviewed loads of people uh, in his career, but he's still really, really nervous. And Adam Scott's never interviewed anyone. And you could just <laughs> you could feel it. And they keep interrupting the podcast to go, okay, the question we're about to ask now is really dumb. Um, we really regret asking it. And you can hear the nerves <laughs> in their voice. And it's Maybe just, we should start doing that because we'd let's never be stop. <laughs> we would never stop. But it's really fun. So, you know, and if, even if you don't like REM, it's what is sort of wrong podcast. with you? What is what is wrong with you? Uh, a varied, incredibly eclectic career. Actually, my my of... wife hates REM, but actually last night I um, persuaded her to go track by track on Murmur with me, <laughs> and we went we went track by track <laughs> as though it's the podcast. <laughs> and I like tried to persuade her that each song was amazing. Wow, you should totally do that. Uh, uh, you know, it wouldn't probably get the same traction as an Adam Scott led podcast, but you should yeah. absolutely. do I that. mean, almost certainly not. But I mean. There's actually, but there's not a lot of um, like variation in this podcast. I'm just like, this song's amazing. And she's like, really does nothing for me. I have so many questions about this, and yet I don't want the answers. Go so. on, tell me. Tell no, me. no. Yes, just... we are nude. What else? <laughs> you got to be nude for a podcast, That's, a nude cast is what I, I, I call it. You've been trying to persuade me of this for years, Chris, and I think I think you need to give it up as a lost cause. I know. I just I just think it helps everyone be a little bit more free. A bit more free with their opinions, a bit more free with their knowledge, a bit more free with their laughter. It's just something I'm throwing out there. I'm experimenting. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to do it now. Up. Yeah, I'm Johnny's no, going to do just, it. Johnny's. I, mean, I don't care that we're in a, uh, a glass uh, well, pod booth. We are actually in a glass pod <laughs> booth. Please don't throw it out there. Is don't. just what I'm saying. Just okay. no throwing anything. Throwing of it. I'm just going to let it um, no. dangle loosely. Oh. Oh, no, this has gone bad. This has gone bad. But yeah, uh, anyway, so yes, R.E.M. are great. And uh, that podcast, uh, Are You Talking R.E.M. Remy, is also great. And uh, I think that's wrapped up this episode of Are You Talking, Are You Talking R.E.M. Remy, Remy. Great. Bye. Bye.
Good app. Great oh. app. <laughs> now do we get to yes, rejoin we the can, Empire podcast? Now we can talk about okay. films. Oh, wait a minute. Is this an episode of I Love Films? No, I'm kidding, of course. And if you listen to that podcast, you will get that we were standing on the shoulders of giants. Wait a second. Is this an episode of Standing on the Shoulders? Anyway, welcome to the Empire Podcast. How are you both? You all good? Um, yes, I am. I'm enjoying. Surprise with that, didn't uh, you? Did, uh, <laughs> what? I've never. You want to know I've, how I am? I've never inquired about your well-being in six years. <laughs> never. You all right, Helen? Six years? How long do you think we've known each other? It feels like six years. <laughs> it's probably longer. Is it longer? It's it's fourteen and yeah and change. See, that's because yeah. time travels differently for me. Right. You know, every every day spent with you to me feels like a minute because it just goes by so quickly. Because it's a joy. Thank it's you. It's an unalloyed joy. I don't understand why he's being nice and I don't trust it. There's something coming. Johnny, help. Hang on, let's just check into the table. <laughs> no, his trousers are still on. I don't Everything. know what it is. Everything is in place. Everything is exactly how it should be. No, I'm just, I'm just glad that you're okay. I'm just glad that you're both okay. And uh, thank you for coming to the podcast. Uh, which is something I should start saying every week. Thank you for coming to the podcast. <laughs> should we take a question? Should we take a question from a reader? Yes, please. Not a reader. What do you call him? Listener. Uh, listener. That's it. Thank you. Uh, okay, so this is a, a very serious question. Uh, this is from at Brazen Fab via Twitter, and she asks: Given that Kelly Marie Tran has had to delete her social media due to the harassment she's taken, and that Solo has been boycotted by giant babies, how do you think fanatical fan bases affect movie and TV production? Is there people power in a negative aspect? And how can we subvert this growing trend? Okay, so this is, we've had several questions like this this week. Brazen Famp is the one that I, I my eyes happen to a, a light on. And we should probably put this in some context. Yeah. So Kelly Marie Tran uh, plays Rose in The Last Jedi. And for the last few months has been a very, very upbeat, very positive presence on social media. But she has been the target of some vitriolic harassment from people who purport to call themselves Star Wars fans. And this week, her social media account just disappeared, along with all her posts. Now, maybe she's just taking a break, and maybe she's going to come back. There's certainly a, a lovely campaign out there to, to get her back, to show her that you know, she is loved and held in high esteem by, yeah. by Star Wars fans. Or maybe she generally has just taken, had too much of people dissing her. Helen, what do you think about this? Um, I think if, as we like, let's let's proceed on the assumption that it is as reported yeah. to do with the harassment. Um, obviously, with the caveat that it, we don't know the full fact yet. Um, if that is the case, I think it's appalling, and I think these people should be ashamed of themselves. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, and I think it, it's it's been a pattern now for a, a, a while um, that it's the people of color and the women who take the brunt of these campaigns, uh, not the men. Uh, not the white men, and it's uh, it's quite noxious, and it's quite obvious actually if you look at it who they're targeting and and how they're targeting them, and uh, and and that makes it very very unpleasant. And I, I feel like people talk about the internet like it's the wild west, and maybe mm -hmm. it was ten years ago or fifteen or twenty years ago. It's not anymore. It's where we all live a lot of the time, mm -hmm. and it's not okay to act like nothing there matters it's actually not virtual the internet is real and it has a tangible effect on people's lives it's extraordinary to me that people can still say that they still think they can get away with saying things online that yeah. they would never that they would in a never million say in years person. dream of going up to your face and yeah. saying or even in earshot it's kind of extraordinary to me well that's it and i think i think that's the big thing that everybody should kind of 
start taking, I don't know, take away from this, but like start remembering, I think, in our interactions with each other. I, I made a decision about, God, about nearly 10 years ago now to try and be a positive presence on, on you know, Twitter and the rest. Yeah. Um, that's not to say that I don't publish posts bemoaning political decisions that are terrible yeah. or, you know, complaining about Brexit. But, uh, and I'm absolutely going to continue doing that. But in terms of talking about people, talking about m- myself even, I try not to be completely negative the whole time because it is real and it does matter and, it, and it's just not how I want to be seen and it's not how I want to act in the world. So yeah. Yeah. why don't we all just try and act like we, you know, like we'd like others to be t- towards us? I just don't understand how people can seriously think it doesn't matter anymore. And people are not actually insulated by fame or money or anything else. It's not... Not that she probably mm-hmm. was paid a vast amount for that film, I quite doubt, frankly. Yeah, I doubt it. As a, as a young star coming up. Yeah. She doesn't have, you know, layers of protection. She doesn't have layers of bodyguards. Um, she, you know, is a human being and she deserves to be treated with some respect and some kindness. It's a, it's a, it, it can be a, a really discomforting thing to have someone suddenly show up in your DMs or in your, your mentions and, you know, I guess we get it on a very, very small scale. Yeah, very yeah. minor thing. Very compared minor. to the likes of Kelly Marie Tran and Daisy Ridley, of course, who also yeah. had to delete her social media account a few years ago. This is a problem. Trolls don't have anything useful to say. Yeah. This is this is what it comes down to. They don't have anything coherent to say. They, they are pathetic. It is a terrible way to spend your life. And even if you're that angry about this, and even if you want to express yourself somehow, there is a better way for you to do that. Go away and write your own sci-fi script that would be better. Go and write some fan fiction Star Wars that actually expresses the sequels you'd like to see. There are better ways to do it than to harass people who have nothing to do with the decisions that have angered you in the first place. Mm -hmm. And that goes for us as well. I mean, people, you know, we've had people in our office get death threats for giving something a three-star review, which is a recommendation. I got my first death threat for giving Scooby-Doo two stars. Uh, back in Sco- Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo the-, the, the, the James Gunn wow. written, uh, Roger Gosnell directed adaptation of the beloved Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Yeah. Uh, and I got a death threat for giving that two stars uh, back in 2002. And I never know who wrote it, but uh, the, the letter went, You are wet! You're going to lie. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know who that was. I, I can't crack that code. But no, genuinely, I did get it. You know, at, at the time, you kind of go, oh, wow, I've just been sent a death threat. This is fun. But for the most part, yeah, it's kind of weird. It's kind of freakish. And you should try and put yourself in the shoes of someone who gets that a thousandfold yes. every single day. Yeah. And I've seen some of the stuff that was said to Kelly Marie Tran, and it's absolutely vile and disgusting. And I think... Honestly, I think that this week has seen something of a line being drawn in the sand. It feels to me like this week's been a bit of a turning point. Not I just because, so. no, but, but because I've seen a whole lot of people, a whole lot of people involved with Star Wars, some who aren't going, okay, we're, we're, we're fed up with this. Because you guys are giving Star Wars fandom and fandom in general yeah. a bad name. And just stop it. We don't need this sort of toxicity anymore. Does that feel like that to you? Does it feel like this is a bit of a turning point? Um, I mean, honestly, probably not. I can I can imagine that we think, ah, we've really turned a corner here, and then suddenly it happens again several months down the line when everyone's distracted by something else. Something else probably horrible has happened, like Brexit is going through, <laughs> and suddenly you know someone else is comes off, and it, the whole cycle begins again. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I mean, look, we live in hope, right? 
Yeah. We do. And it's not, it, you know, obviously this is not just a, a film thing. This, ha- this is happening all over. It's happening in yeah. music. It's very much happening in politics. Samantha B just went through it. Mm-hmm. Um, these, I think, I feel like if you suspect you're part of a mob, you should probably just take a moment, right, and breathe and maybe step back, like you know, and for for whatever cause, football. It's you know, there have been cases of it in yeah, football very yeah. recently. Well, football. Gary Lineker tweets something, and he wants pooed on the pitch in Italia ninety. So he'll say something about anything, and then it'll be shat on whatever he's talking about. And once, like, like when his dad died, the first tweets that he got back for him announcing that was shat on dad. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. At what point is that a good idea? Is that what point is that funny? At what point is that like not beyond like the realms of good taste? Yeah, he uh, and because people don't think, and because people lack empathy, and there's an extraordinary lack of empathy going around right mm. these days, and because it's so easy on Twitter, it's so easy just to go and you can interact with your your favorite stars, and sometimes they'll notice you, and sometimes they won't. Sometimes they reply, sometimes they won't, and it's so easy for people just to go on and type at Helen L. O'Hara. And go. Thanks for putting in my hashtag in this discussion. <laughs> it's, it's 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 your handle. handle I'm no, sorry. but it's so easy to do Hi, that, Pop. and without a moment's thought, and uh, and to get caught up in that mob mentality. And I would hope that, and certainly, I think Twitter and other social media platforms need to do a lot more in terms of their 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 ability to report people, um, amen. their ability to block people, and then to just immediately stop those people from opening new accounts. Yeah. Just to go back to this, the Kelly Marie trans situation. Uh, and Brazen Fam's question: How do you think fanatical fan bases affect movies and TV production? I, I don't think they do. I hope they don't. I, I mean, look, I think that they get talked about a little bit, but I think what filmmakers have found is that trying to do fan service and trying to cater to the very small vocal minorities historically has not worked terribly well. Um, what has worked is having somebody with a vision, with a clear grasp of the story they're trying to tell, and giving them the reins to tell it. If the Star Wars fans were right about the, the the small vocal minority, I mean, about SJWs oh, and um, and Kathleen Kennedy and everything else, then Solo would have been a huge hit, and the Last Jedi would have been a relative flop. And the fact is, that's not the case. So what we're looking at here is yeah. the fact that they are just not correct. They are just not correct. Wonder Woman would have flopped if they were correct, and it did not. I just, I think they're, I think they're trying to hold back the tide. I think they're canuting the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and and I, I don't think. Look, if you've always been in a privileged position and you've always seen yourself reflected over and over again on screen, and you suddenly see other people up there as well, not instead, not in, you know, not replacing you, but just alongside you in any numbers and that threatens you, maybe just think for a moment about how it's been for literally everyone who wasn't a straight (laughs) white male um, forever. It's so not about you. And sharing a little bit of attention does not mean that you were victimised. And I just... Look, I think all our listeners know this because I feel like if they didn't, they wouldn't be listening to us. But I I agree with you. I think, by and large, cross fingers, they're they're a good bunch. But also, I think... (laughs) Fundamentally, the people who've been going after Kelly Marie Tran, the people who went after Daisy Ridley, the people who've been harassing Ryan Johnson on a daily basis yeah. since before The Last Jedi came out, but certainly since The Last Jedi came out, the, 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 the shit that guy's had to wade through on a daily basis. And he comes up smiling. And he's really fun and engaged with the fans who get it. 
But I think fundamentally what these people are misunderstanding is Star Wars. And they're misunderstanding Star Trek. When I see people, because uh, I've seen tweets about Star Trek, people furious about the fact that uh, uh, there was a, a African-American lead, female African-American lead on Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. And these people were absolutely furious. And it's like, have you seen an episode of Star Trek? Do you get that this show is yeah. about togetherness and inclusion? There yeah. is no argument that Star Trek has not always been about tolerance, inclusion, diversity, and working together for a better future. Like, yeah. there is there is no argument you can possibly make to yeah. say that ain't so. It's, it's madness. And Star Wars is also about idealism, mm-hmm. and it's about love, and it's about family. It is about, if you will, social justice. It, it, people, you could argue you that. Will, fighting for social justice. You might almost call them... A warrior, perhaps. That's right. Oh, my God. What's going on there? Uh, So, yeah. Anyway, we probably talked enough about that, but I would hope... I would hope that Hollywood's not listening to this very, very small minority of people because I think, honestly, the worst thing that a creative person can do in Hollywood is second-guess themselves and listen to people whose ideas are terrible. I mean, look, if they'd listened to those people... The X-Men would have been wearing yellow and blue from the start and we'd mm-hmm. all still be pointing and laughing. Come on. <sighs> yes, we would. Yes, we would. And we hope that Kelly Marie Tran, whose account is still active, she just has deleted everything, does come back to social media. If you want to get in touch on the Empire Podcast, but please be nice. You can do so via a number of methods. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. Otherwise, we won't see it. Uh, we're also on Facebook as Empire Magazine. And you can email us, podcast at empireonline.com. All right, time now to discuss this week's movie news. And there was a ton of it. There was a ton of movie news. Basically, every trailer in the world seemed to debut this week. Every trailer in the world. Can we take a moment and watch... How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, no. Helen, Helen. Come on, please. Uh, we're going to pause the podcast. Helen's going to watch. No, we can all, you can we can all, all watch it. No one wants to watch it. What? You can watch it. We'll sit Get here. Get out. Sorry. So you that was the, uh, what's it called? <laughs> How to Train Your Dragon 3, but it's actually got a title, uh, hasn't it? Hidden World. Hidden World. Uh, thoughts? I'm, I'm, I'm bracing myself for heartbreak. And, uh, and also for Hiccup's beard, which is very happy. So I'm I'm in favour. I'm j- honestly I'm I'm just I, I think I've said before in the podcast, but I'm sort of I'm seeing a kind of ET phone home, ET goes home kind of vibe here, and I'm 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 worried because I'm not sure I'll be able to cope. So I'm just going to start hydrating now, so that when I cry my eyes out in the cinema, like I'll still be left not a bitter husk of a woman. Okay. Assuming there's someone who hasn't seen uh, either of the other two, um, that then- someone would be wrong. Just fundamentally, but yeah, well, for, for not having seen them, yeah, for thinking maybe they'll get around to them, but not having seen them yet, yeah, 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 yeah that's super wrong. <laughs> what okay. if you'd seen the first movie and thought it was rubbish and therefore didn't watch the second movie? Uh, again, wrong, okay, yeah, just I mean, does it, is, is it still about how to train a dragon? No, there's is been, I mean, there's been very thing? little training, I'll be honest, uh, throughout the, the series as, as a percentage, it doesn't of the even make time. sense of the first there film. Is, there is, there is training in the first film, although right. it's as much for the the Vikings as the dragons. Um, the second one had a bit of, you know, dragon innovation, but I wouldn't really call it training. So, so yeah. what are we building up to the training? What's going on here? No, it's more. It's just more about the relationship between, you know, a boy and his dragon, and we've all been there, haven't we? You know, Hiccup and Toothless. But but Toothless is honestly which is which is, which? Toothless is the dragon. Right. Um, he's honestly one of the great characters of the Noddies. Like he is genuinely one of the best certainly the best animation characters I've ever seen, but also one of the best the characters. The dragon is. Yeah, full stop. Yeah, he's phenomenal. 
just a beautiful, beautifully animated beast. He's wonderful. Okay. There you go. Fully on board then with How to Train Your Dragon Hidden World. That is just one of the 27 different trailers that came out this <laughs> week. And I know this is a podcast, but we will discuss the trailers uh, as best we can. Why don't you watch along with me at home? After yeah. we, we did two spotter specials for the <laughs> for the Avengers Infinity War trailers. Uh, loads of trailers out this week. Let's start a whole bunch of horror ones. So we're recording this before the first trailer for Halloween. The David Gordon Green, Danny McBride, re Boot sequel, re-sequel, reboot cool, whatever it is, to obviously John Carpenter's Halloween. Uh, that's going to be out today when you're listening to this. And also Karn Hardy's The Nun. We're going to get our first look at that, which is very exciting. Uh, but one horror f- film that did debut its preview this week was Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria. And uh, this is his two and a half hour long remake of the Dario Argento Giallo classic and uh, did you see it? What did you, what did you think of that? Dakota I didn't Johnson, see it, but I, I hear it looks great. Well, it's very eerie. I thought uh, it looks interesting. One of the things about the Dario Argento movie is that it's really colourful and really bright and psychedelic and uh, batshit insane. And this one seems to be a little bit more muted in colour, but uh, it seems to have an intense, intense feeling. So it's got Dakota Johnson's in there, Tilda Swinton's in there, lots of eerie goings on. Uh, Coven of Witches are in play. Oh, it's all very... So, fingers crossed for that one. Yeah, I really like Dakota Johnson. I want her to have a really good role that's not Fifty Shades of Grey, basically. (laughs) Not Anastasia Steele. Yes, basically. Um, I think she deserves better. I I agree. And I think, I mean, you know, this has a hell of a kind of... um, prestigious lineage if you will so uh it's it's looking pretty pretty sweet yeah and obviously uh, a bit of a left turn for luca guadagnino very much so yeah but uh, which is always exciting actually yeah hey, he's a man who knows his films speaking of left turns for uh, for you know highly awarded directors the widow's trailer came out this week as well yes and this is steve mcqueen the you know not just art house director but like literally art director um of you know, well, in the sense that he was an artist who made videos. Ah, know. he was um, an artist. Video director. artist? Video artist? I don't know what the word is. Anyway. Fartist, I believe. No, the, I don't uh, think that's it. I I'm, think that's it. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Steve McQueen, massive fartist. I apologise at this point to, I mean, everyone, really. Um, but of, of course, he made Shame, he made Hunger, he made 12 Years a Slave, he won the Academy Award for that for Best Picture. And now he's making a thriller based on a 1980s Linda LaPlante ITV show. It's like a heist movie, right? It's a heist movie, yeah. Set in Chicago, Liam Neeson and his gang uh, are about to do a big, big job. Yeah. And um, all die horribly. So they're widows. I mean, it's literally, it should be the opening scene if it's anything like the TV show. That's a spoiler. I still think that's a spoiler. I mean, it's called Widows. (laughs) Yeah, it's a spoiler. Whose widow did you think they were? I don't know. I actually was hearing windows when you said it. (laughs) So anyway, their widows Mm. decide to do the job to get themselves out of a rather sticky situation. Um, And then they do the job as well. That's another spoiler beyond that. (laughs) No, they decide to do the job. I didn't say they did it. But I think that decision is a spoiler. I don't think we should have found that out. So anyway, it's an incredible cast. Viola Davis, Elizabeth Debicki, Michelle Rodriguez and um, Cynthia Erivo are the the four widows, are the four four main women. Because actually technically one of them is... Now her husbands die. Well, actually one of them, her husband isn't one of the dead men. There's another woman who doesn't join the gang. It's a whole thing. Anyway. And what um, was at the end? (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely not telling you that. 
Anyway, uh, but also you've got Colin Farrell, you've got Robert Duvall. Um, it's just a phenomenal lineup, and I'm really, really hyped for it. Not least because yes. I was on set, but also that. Oh, now we see. Now Yay. we see. Now the penny drops. There you go. It's also a script by uh, Gillian Flynn, who of course did Gone Girl. So it's just yeah. like just down the castle. It's just everybody involved seems to be amazing. Is a Linda Plant? Miniseries? Is it a miniseries? It was a six episode, yeah. Is that, is that highly thought of as far as those things go? It was, yeah. Apparently it was the first sort of drama series to outnumber viewership for, what's the word? I don't know. Have a higher viewership than like the soaps. Like it was, oh, really? It was absolutely essential viewing back in 1980, like two Three. or something. Three? Three. Three. I don't remember it. No. What, what age were you at that point? I was one. Right. It's funny that you don't remember it. Yeah, but like repeats and stuff, right? I don't know, maybe not. Like I've heard of Prime Suspect. Yep. Yeah, that was a good bit later, though. Okay. Yep. So, very exciting, then, news about Steve McQueen and Widows. There's loads more trailers out this week as well. Uh, there was a trailer for the Lego Movie 2, which was Looks funny. Really Looks really funny. Good. Yeah, right. very uh, happy. The two trailers... There's three more trailers to talk about yep. in in fair amount of detail. Sorry, guys. Uh, one, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Love it. I think this looks great. Yeah, really excited. I'm excited to see Miles Morales. And I feel like this is a kind of soft launch so that in five, six years when Tom Tom Holland, not that one, the other one, not not the other one, the, the other other one? Oh, hang on, hang on. You mean the noted historian, Tom Holland? No, the other one. Oh, right, the director of Fright no, Night the other and Child's one. Play. Oh, the guy who fixed James's roof. No, the other one. Oh, the guy who plays Spider-Man. There you <laughs> go. So I feel yeah. like when he moves on, that would make sense. What they can do is maybe replace him with Miles Morales instead yes. of another Peter Parker, okay. which would look work wonderfully. And this sort of sets up, you know, I'm not saying everyone who would ever go see a live-action Spider-Man is going to see this, but it sets up the character, gives people a little bit more familiarity with him, and uh, and kind of lays the groundwork a little bit for seeing him in, in live-action in the future, which is super exciting. So what this is is this a trailer that's an animated. Spider-Man movie uh, that is written by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who were the guys who, of course, were working on Solo for so long and did Cloud of the Chance Meatballs and the Lego movie and 21 and 22 Jump Street. And uh, they produced it as well. And it is a an alternative... It's, it's an alternative... It's an alternative... Why can't I say that word? <laughs> alternate. It's an alternate what-if story set in a different universe yes. in which Peter Parker is now an older guy, he looks to be in his 30s or 40s, and a new Spider-Man, Miles Morales, comes to the fore, and then there's loads of other Spider-Man characters like Spider-Gwen and that looked like uh, the, Green, the Green Goblin was in there at one point as well. Liev Schreiber was this week revealed to be playing the Kingpin. Hayley Steinfeld is going to be playing Spider-Gwen. So it's a really good cast. Yeah. But the thing I think that sets us apart is the look of the thing. It looks incredible. It looks gorgeous. It's not like any animated film we've seen. It's very much influenced by comic book styles. You have Batman style The words will come up on screen as things sm- uh, smash into each other. But there, it, it plays with different visual styles and different animation styles, sometimes within the same scene. Mm. Uh, I think it looks really dynamic, really refreshing. And uh, I am there for it. I'm super hyped. Yeah, me too. Can't wait. Good stuff. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and uh, not part of the MCU, as far as we're aware. Then there's the Star is Born trailer. Now, this is the 47th remake of <laughs> A Star is Born. This one is interesting uh, because if you don't know what Star is Born is, Helen, you can fill people um, in quickly. A uh, young person uh, at the very beginning of their career in an area strikes up a relationship with an older person who is an already established star in that area. Um, their love affair does not go smoothly. 
There we go. So it's been remade loads and loads through the years. Uh, and this remake is directed by Bradley Cooper, who stars in the film as well, alongside Lady Gaga. Now, what did we think of this trailer? What did we think of it? This is uh, this is a, the, the different, the take in this one is that Bradley Cooper is a grizzled old country superstar who stumbles upon Lady Gaga and uh, she <laughs> impresses him with the, the the width of her pipes and... And what? It just sounds weird. Does it? I've had a man in bil- fixing a boiler this week. Not a euphemism. Not a euphemism. An actual boiler. Okay. So sure. I'm, I'm now sensitive to pipe talk. <laughs> well, aren't we all? <laughs> aren't we all? Get them checked, people. Get them checked. So she impresses him and then she possibly eclipses him on the way down. And of course, he's deeply troubled because he's got a beard and a guitar. He's got a great beard, though. Like he shouldn't be worried about that beard. It's um, a good beard. It is a good beard. Like it's one of the top ten beards of 2018 so far. <laughs> Obviously, alongside both of yourselves. Right, so it's me, Bradley, and Chris. <laughs> I. This isn't a beard. What I have. Of course, it is. I was being. Kind. What I have can never be called a beard. I gave up on the whole beard thing about two weeks ago. I was just thought this is not happening. It's just not happening. I, 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 whenever Nick grew, whenever Nick decided to grow a beard from scratch and did it in about a week. <laughs> And did in a week what I've been trying to do for a year. I just went, no, I'm done. I'm done. This is just, this is just... But you haven't shaved. Facial hair. No, I have shaved. I've shaved the, the bits and I'll shave these little bits as well. And, you know, okay. I, I haven't gone for the full... Because was, there was protuberances previously and now it's kind of not. It's more trim than it was before. So anyway, oh, yeah. Star is Born. Um, I really like the look of this. My interest went from zero to, you know, a solid, like, Eight probably uh, on the strength of this trailer. I, I quite like the music. I find the, the tunes going around in my head a little bit afterwards. Oh, um, yeah. And yeah, it just looks quite cool. It's interesting. I mean, this has been in development for about ever. Like Clint Eastwood was going to do it with Beyonce at one point, and Bradley Cooper was attached definitely as a star when the, when the Clint Eastwood was going to direct. Yeah, and I think he liked it so much he took it over. Took when, it over. Yeah, when Clint went off to do something. So else. it's um, so yeah, it's been a while, but. Uh, but no, I, I think, I mean, the reason it's been made, remade so many times is that the, sort of the dynamic and the drama of it kind of works. And, uh, and I hope it does this time as well. It looks, I, I thought this looked good. I'm, I'm excited. I, I, I am less up in it than, than you were. <laughs> uh, but it certainly looks interesting. And it's kind of mad when it, when it comes up at the beginning, it goes, I'm not sure if it does say four-time Academy Award nominee, Bradley Cooper, but it is mad to think that Bradley Cooper from The Hangover has been nominated for four Academy Bradley Awards. Cooper will always be a, Sydney's best friend in Alias, let's be honest. Of course. But he's a very good actor, Bradley Cooper. And sometimes mm. it's easy to forget that, despite all the huge nominations. And I expect this one might well get him number five. He's the, fluent in French. He is. He he's is. done he's done interviews in French, yeah. Which I think is remarkable. When he came into the office. I mean lots to do, of people speak two languages. But sure. I, for some reason I think that Bradley Cooper doing interviews in French is remarkable. It is pretty cool. When he came into the office to do a web chat. There has we have never been more popular with the women's mags upstairs. <laughs> like yeah. suddenly they all wanted to be our friend, and they have never wanted to be our friends before. So, so we just say there, there have been there have been three major versions of this movie. It's been remade countless times, and the, yeah. the basic story has been remade countless times. But 1937, so the the couple in that were Janet Gaynor, yeah, and Frederick March. 1954, ja, um, Judy Garland, Judy Garland, and oh, James Mason, James Mason. 1976. Chris Christopherson. Chris Christopherson. Barbara Streisand. Absolutely. And now this one we have Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. Yeah. And uh, what do we think of Lady Gaga in this trailer? 
I thought she was good. I mean, I, look, we we know she has pipes. We know she can sing. But uh, I thought, you know, it looked on this very limited evidence like she can act as well. And she didn't get massively great reviews for her role in American Horror Story Hotel, wasn't it? Yeah. But um, but this is that. a bit more. This is a bit more promising. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic, let's say. What's interesting to me is that Lady Gaga is someone who, through her career, has hid behind artifice and, yeah. you know, this, this grand representation of herself. Meat dresses and yeah, all, sorts of all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And in this one, she's very much unadorned, isn't she? It's very much... And I'd be intrigued to see whether you know, there's a really great character there because we obviously know she's got, she's got singing pipes. Uh, so the last trailer to discuss is the Girl in the Spider's Web trailer, which went up just before we started recording this podcast. And that is Claire Foy playing Lisbeth Salander. They've missed out. So this isn't the David Fincher. The David Fincher Girl in the Dragon Tattoo came out a few years ago. Did okay at the box office. That was Daniel Craig and Rooney Mara. Did okay at the box office, but not well enough to get a sequel. So they've decided to skip the next two uh, books in the series written by Stig Larson and go straight to the one that wasn't written by Stig Larson. So it's partly written by him, right? I think it's based he off was, his notes, yeah. isn't it? So he he started it. Yeah. It's not like the most recent one, which is completely no. made up. Completely made up. I don't recall these. Like, Stig Larson like didn't the make his yes, <laughs> which were documentaries. Uh, and I, I, I will remember the name of the author who's written this book. But this is based on The Girl in the Spider's Web. It's like uh, Lagercrantz or something. Uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern? Yes, yes, indeed. It's Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. That's, uh, that is absolutely right. Uh, and this is directed by Fede Alvarez. David Lagerkrantz. David Lagerkrantz. Well, that's pretty close, I think. Lagerkrantz. Yeah. I mean, it's not bad, is it? So this is, uh, this is the trailer and it has uh, Lisbeth Salander. And it says here, journalist Mikhail Blumpfist, who of course is the co-lead of the three books and the film, played sure, by Danny Craig yeah. in the... Uh, but of whom I can see little to no evidence in this trailer. I mean, there were a couple of flashing images that could have been a man who was it a journalist. Have, it could have been. Are those glasses? Is that a punch? Is that him? But I, yes, it was certainly... They were definitely leading with their leading lady, let's say. Yes. But um, quite right, right? Quite right. I mean, she looks great. And I think... Uh, I don't know. On, I have to defend. Okay. Overweight, oversexed, really? bespectacled. Okay. I have to defend... Overweight, bespectacled journalists here, okay? Uh-huh. Uh, Mikhail Blomqvist is not as exciting or as sexy or as jazzy as Lisbeth Salander, but he was my anchor. <laughs> he was my way into that world. And damn it, I need him in this trailer. Okay, Chris. We'll get you the help you need. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> I mean, I don't know the book. Do you know the book? I haven't read this one, I'll be honest. No, I don't I know. I mean, is, is he in the book as much as... He was in the previous ones. I don't know. I don't know. But we know um, he's in the film. Yeah. But I think yeah. you're right. I think this is probably a bit more Lisbeth than certainly the girl with the dragon tattoo because she's mm. become a more important character as the series went on. Yes. And more of the lead rather than co-lead. Um, I think uh, Foy looks great. I think it's really interesting what she's done since The Queen. And I think, you know, for someone who threatened to get kind of locked into that English period piece... Well, you yeah, know, she, she did breathe again uh, straight afterwards. Oh. She did breathe, which was what nineteen fifties set. She did, um, she did Wolf Hall. You know, she'd done, she'd kind of come up that way. But since then, she's done in Unsane, and she's now done this, and it's just showing a completely different side of her, which I think is is really exciting and really different, and shows that she's really trying to push the boundaries here and and you know do something different, which is which is great. I don't think anybody would have necessarily called her for this. You know, or called her as a, as a likely candidate for this two or three years ago, and I think it's great that she's doing it. So yeah, I'm excited to see her. We'll definitely keep an eye on that one. Hashtag 
justice for Blumquist. <laughs> I'm just angry because I missed out on the role. You were born to Why do you think I was working on this punch? Do you think this is because I enjoy sugary foods and not running and not having any exercise of any kind? No, I was... We should go running somewhere. I was stealth prepping for this role and they didn't even give me a shot. That's really depressing. You should get a yum yum to make up for it. <laughs> I should. So immediately after this, let's go get two mini cinnamon buns, which of course together are more healthy than one big cinnamon bun. They've, they've, they've closed the cinnamon on Piccadilly Circus. Well, they've made a very powerful enemy on this day. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's enough of the trailer talk. Let's talk now some very, very quick casting news. And I think we're all in a good mood after watching these incredible trailers. So it is time to <laughs> time to ruin that good mood by saying that there is a Jared Leto Joker movie in the works. Um, Great. Which obviously I'm all for. Yeah, me all too. All for. I have an official statement from me that I'd like to read at this time. <laughs> it yep. reads as follows. <sighs> I made a note in my diary on the way over here. It simply says, bugger. I mean, every day is Christmas Eve here on the Emperor Podcast, <laughs> and I'm sure that this movie will turn out to be very, very good. But uh, do we need another Joker movie? I mean, another Joker movie, given that there's one in the works with Todd Phillips and possibly Whacking Phoenix. I don't know, but the, the interesting thing is that this announcement has come two years after Suicide Squad. And Suicide Squad, for all its many faults, was... Somehow, a big hit around the world made loads and loads of money. And people, some people, not anyone I know, but people who I've met and possibly walked past in the street seem to like it. I quite like it. Johnny quite likes it. But it's still taken him two years to do anything even close to resembling a sequel. You know, so there's the Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey movie, which is in development. There's now this. We don't have a Suicide Squad 2. For example, Deadpool comes out in 2016. We've already got Deadpool 2. I'm surprised it's taken... Warner Brothers and DC so long to get their act together in this. After this long of a wait, I'm surprised that what they've come up with is a Jared Leto Joker movie when I would say... Killer Croc. Killer Croc is the one. <laughs> Actually, Boomerang. I still wear my Boomerang t-shirt. Well, there you go. Boomerang was I the best really thing like, in that movie. Yeah, yeah, really apart from Harley Quinn, he was the, yeah. easily yeah. the best thing in that movie. I liked Will, I thought Will Smith was fine in the movie. Fine. had a yeah. bit of a totally movie fine. star swagger to him. Hey, we actually I, do quite like this movie. As a I thing, mean, don't let's we? not go crazy. I'm warming to it, actually, now. <laughs> the more I think about it, the, a great soundtrack. Here's the thing, right? And this is something we're going to get onto with reviews in a minute, right? But there's a, there's a phenomenon in Hollywood that any great villain, any truly great villain who sticks around for enough sequels becomes, if not the hero, at least the protagonist, right? Uh, and usually a hero or a goodie of some description. There are some characters for whom that should not, fundamentally should not be true. It's the reason that the Hannibal prequel was entirely misconceived. It's a large part of the reason that the Star Wars prequels were entirely misconceived. It, there, is, there are some characters who are only meant to be villains and only work because they are great villains. And the mm -hmm. Joker is absolutely slap bang in the centre of that group. Yep. He absolutely cannot be anything but an agent of chaos. He should not have anything resembling an, an, a, a, a canonical backstory. Yep. So there is probably a way of making him the focus of a film, mm -hmm. but it is a weird-looking film. And if it is not a weird-looking film, it's probably going to be terrible. I mean, there are... There are 
probably ways around it as well. But I, I, although I don't have as much of a problem with Leto's portrayal of the, of the Joker, I think he was maybe hamstrung by the stories about his method approach to the movie and the things he was sending his co-stars and just a general uh, Jared Leto apathy that I, I see on online. And he was also hamstrung by the fact the movie he was in wasn't very good. But he wasn't horrendous. But I don't have any appetite to see it again. Yeah. But also, I think that this version of the Joker is very much a representation of and a hero of the nasty gentleman we were discussing at the beginning of the podcast in our question. The, the people who seem to think that it's okay to log on and, and harass people because they're agents of chaos and they don't give a shit and you know stick it to the man and all that mm. nonsense. And uh, I, I don't think we need a character that Tr- toxic tr- to root the for. libs. Yes. Yeah, he yeah. would. He absolutely did. The Joker would love to have a go at all those snowflakes. Other casting news, very, very quickly before we wrap up. We, we talked last week, Top Gun Maverick or Top Gun 2. I'm not entirely sure if the title has been confirmed. Uh, we were talking about the fact that Tom Cruise seems to be the only person in that film at the moment. <laughs> Which, again, I would be all for, but uh, it is now confirmed that Val Kilmer will return as Iceman in that, which he, is which He is great would news. be his wingman any time. <laughs> we have proof of it now. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's great. Especially because, you know, I think it's been fairly well publicised that Val Kilmer's had some health issues in the last few years, and so it's great to see him bouncing back after that. Absolutely. And uh, on all the best to him, he's, uh, he's an awesome dude. And hopefully now we can get that top secret sequel that we've been begging for. <sighs> <laughs> is that that just, I've, I've been begging for I mean it's just basically me and you is yeah anybody else out there and my wife uh, she yeah. loves Tom Secret it's a great film yeah I know a little German he's over there <laughs> <laughs> isn't it weird that Val Kilmer was in Top Secret which has a character called Deja Vu and then he starred in Deja Vu whoa amazing you have blown my mind <laughs> Have we not met before? <laughs> but isn't it weird that Val Kilmer starred in a movie that had a character called Deja Vu and then later starred in the movie Deja Vu? Whoa! You've blown <laughs> my mind. <laughs> but is it not amazing? No. <laughs> <laughs> Two's All right, the last... No, three. You've three. blown three. my you mind. <laughs> no, Johnny, we've stopped. <laughs> we've stopped. Um, all right, last bit of casting news is that Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has uh, drafted a batch of impressive acting talents, including Damien Lewis, fellow Red, uh, Luke Perry, I assume he's a fellow Red, Emil Hirsch, and Dakota Fanning, Clifton Collins Jr., of whom I asked possibly the stupidest question in my career. Ever tell you this? Ever mention this in the podcast? Was it, was, have you ever played a mayor? No, it wasn't have you ever played a mayor. And it wasn't the question I said to Sam Raimi once where I went, oh, the success of Evil Dead 2, uh, that must have been beyond your wildest ken. And, and then I had to explain to him what that phrase meant and I wasn't entirely sure what the phrase meant. And so I neither of us really got it. Anyway, uh, I was on set of Mind Hunters a few years ago, which obviously remained the greatest set fits experience of my life. And... It was a whole group of us brought in uh, to a round table with Clifton Collins Jr., who was a lovely, lovely guy. And he comes in, and we're halfway through the interview, and then I, I suddenly an epiphany hits me, something, a revelation, something I've noted about the cast of this movie hits me, and I decided to unburden myself of this knowledge no. and ask him and see what he makes of this. And I go, ah, isn't it weird? Isn't it weird that this movie has a whole bunch of people who've got three names? 
in the cast. You know, Clifton Collins Jr., LL Cool J, Johnny Lee Miller, Fal Kilmer. And I tried to make a joke of it at the end. I was really, you know. And Clifton Collins Jr. just looked at me with what I could only describe as utter disdain and decided not to answer the question. And I think that was pretty much the last question. And then he was he was he walked out of the room, and then another film journalist, uh, whose name I will withhold, uh, was Martin Palmer, uh, <laughs> leaned forward to me and went, "Chris, mate, what the fuck was that?" <laughs> I just went, "I don't know. I don't know. It just seemed like a good idea at the time because he was quite funny, and I thought he would go for, go for it, but." Sometimes you throw people an improv ball and sometimes that ball is made of lead and there's nothing they can, there's nothing they can do with it. Uh, I'm so sorry. Uh, so Clifton Collins Jr. is in it. Keith Jefferson and Nicholas Hammond. Hang on. Nicholas Hammond, the um, play, who played Peter Parker in the Spider-Man TV series. Wow. You had my attention. Now you have my curiosity. Or is it the other way around? I don't know, but it, that line never made any sense. It, it doesn't matter. Uh, so they've all signed on to star in this, this movie, which is, uh, as we know, about a TV star... Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and his stunt double Cliff Booth, played by Brad Pitt, who are trying to find a way in late 1960s Hollywood, and they live next door to Sharon Tate at the height of the Manson family mania. Sharon Tate, of course, played by Margot Robbie. Uh, so Damien Lewis is going to play Steve McQueen, hmm. which is... Interesting. Interesting. Dakota Fanning is going to play Squeaky From, a Manson disciple who later tr- uh, tried to assassinate President Gerald Ford. Nick Sam is going to play Sam Wanamaker, who is the father and director as well, but also the father of Sony Wanamaker. Um, also founded The Globe. The Globe. Yeah, The Globe. Series. Oh, yes, that's right. Yes, 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 yes. Shakespeare's Luke. Globe. Yeah. Yeah. He founded Shakespeare's Globe. Yeah, well, like refounded it, you know. Right, okay. Yeah. Uh, Luke Perry is going to play Scotty Lancer. Clifton Collins Jr. is going to play Ernesto, the Mexican Faquero. Keith Jefferson is Land Pirate Keith. And Emil Hirsch is Jay Sabring, who was one of the four victims in the... Yes, the hairdresser. The hairdresser, yes. Yeah. Burt Reynolds, Timothy Olyphant, Kurt Russell, Michael Madsen, Tim Roth, all on board. I'm very excited about this movie. I know we've talked about it in the past, and we're, we're worried about how it's going to handle the Manson murders and the Sharon Tate murders. Yeah. But this cast is It's a, it's a heck of a cast. There's, there's no arguing with that cast list. No. My, my only equivocation, just as you were reading it out there, was sort of... Brad Pitt's playing Leonardo DiCaprio's stunt double. Like, I feel like that should be the other way around. But, you know, fine, I guess. I think, no, I think no, Br- like Brad if you were... Pitt's more athletic and... Yeah, but he's also like the Leonardo. handsomer of the two. <gasps> Whoa! No, this is correct. This is absolutely correct. <laughs> no, I, I don't... I don't Leonardo on. DiCaprio had a, like some, a sort of a youthful, weird-looking thing going on. But as he's grown older, that all that... Everything that Leonardo DiCaprio was was because of his youth. And now he's got nothing. Nothing. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's that's a little further than I would have gone. But. No, 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 no. In fact, I don't think I've gone far enough yet. No. His his face is just it's an atrocity. His um, face is a hate crime. No, okay. I just as your lawyer, uh-huh. let's not go there. No, no oh, okay. absolutely not. You're right. Sorry, sorry. I'd like to withdraw that remark about Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm. Sorry, I just thought of his face. Like, mm, sort of. Look. DiCaprio is handsome. I'm not saying he isn't handsome, but he's not Brad Pitt handsome. Like, Shania Twain literally wrote a song about Brad Pitt handsome. But only because Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't scan. I just feel like she would have tried harder if he was okay. that good looking. So you're Leonardo DiCaprio. doesn't fit. That don't impress me much. Brad Pitt fits. You see? Yeah, fits. I'm just saying she wrote the song around it. You know, yeah. Probably. But also Brad Pitt's older than Leonardo DiCaprio, so stunt doubles can sometimes be older than the actor that sure, they're sure. doubling for, so that kind of makes sense. Sure, sure. But wow, you dropped a bombshell there. 
I think that's it for our epic news section. Okay, as you know, this week's podcast is sponsored by Sky Cinema, which gives you unlimited access to the best movies at home, whenever and wherever you want, in the best possible way. I have been a Sky Cinema subscriber for many years now. I love the choice they offer. They have over a thousand quality movies on demand, ready for me to enjoy whenever I want. Uh, My first recommendation is one of the best horror movies in years and one of the best Stephen King films in well over a decade for me. It is, of course, well, it. An adaptation of King's massive 1,000-plus page novel, which sees a group of people battle an evil clown named Pennywise in the fictional town of Derry, Maine. This adaptation by Andy Musietti, who directed Mama, splits the book cleverly into two parts, and this part focuses on the group as kids coming together to fight Pennywise in the 1980s after he kills a young boy in the terrifying prologue. Uh, it captures a novel sense of deft characterization. It has some wonderfully scary scenes, and it is an absolute belter. I cannot wait for the sequel, which begins filming this year. You can familiarize yourself right now by watching it on Sky Cinema. Now, my next recommendation is actually three recommendations. Ocean's 8 opens this month, and it's a reboot of slash sequel to Steven Soderbergh's Ocean's trilogy, which saw an all-star cast get together to pull off three very daring, very different heists. Uh, Slick, stylish, often subversive. I have a lot of time for these movies. Even the often maligned Ocean's 12, which I think is one of the truly daring sequels. It does things that most sequels don't even begin to attempt. All three films are endlessly rewatchable, very, very quotable, and it's a blast to watch the likes of George Clooney, Julia Roberts, Matt Damon, Catherine Cedar-Jones, Brad Pitt, Don Cheadle, Andy Garcia, Al Pacino, Casey Affleck, all those guys just be the coolest mothers on the planet. So those are my recommendations this week on Sky Cinema. Join me next week for more Sky Cinema-related fun. Time now for this week's guest. He is... I don't know I say this every single time, but he is one of our favourite actors and one of my favourite actor people in my time doing this job. He is a lovely, lovely chap and one of the most successful actors of all time. If you look at his career, he has been, of course, in the Lord of the Rings movies. He has been in the Hobbit movies. He has been in the Star Wars movies. He has been in the Planet of the Apes trilogy. And, of course, the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well with appearances in Avengers Age of Ultron and Black Panther. Does that make Andy Serkis pound for pound the most lucrative, the most successful actor in the history of movies? It could well be. Black Panther, of course, is out on DVD and Blu-ray this Monday, June 11th. Fantastic film. If you haven't seen it, it is an absolute cracker. And if you haven't listened to our spoiler special with the film's co-writer and director Ryan Coogler and the executive producer Nate Moore, Go and check out that one right now. Uh, Andy Serkis in that movie, of course, plays Ulysses Claw. And when Black Panther was just about to come out back in February, I went along and spoke to him about that movie and about a great many other things besides. Had a lot of fun with this one, and I hope you guys do too. He is awesome. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. It's uh, Chris here uh, recording this in my flat uh, the day after we recorded the main podcast, because I listened back to the Andy Circus podcast and I realized I should give you guys a heads up that this is really, really spoilerific. 
it's one of the benefits or drawbacks, depending on your point of view, of doing this, knowing that we were going to hold it for the DVD. So it is very spoilerific, not just about Black Panther, but also about Andy Serkis's roles in Star Wars The Last Jedi and War for the Planet of the Apes as well. So if you haven't seen any of those films, maybe skip right to the very end where we talk about Mowgli. Otherwise, uh, enjoy this interview where we talk about Black Panther, War for the Planet of the Apes, and The Last Jedi. Okay, Chris out. Bye. Uh, we're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast once again. He just he won't stop appearing on the Emperor Podcast. We, we try. <laughs> we try and put a barricades outside the door, but he keeps getting in. Andy Circus, how are you, sir? I'm very, very well. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Good, good, good. Um, we are recording this. People are, are hearing this at the time of the DVD release right. of Black Panther, but we're recording it as the film's about to come out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, last night, the premiere, the European premiere, took place, and I rarely felt an atmosphere in a in a screening like last night's. There seems to be an incredible bubble of excitement around this movie. Joe, you know, it's it's extraordinary. I don't think I've ever been in a film that has been anticipated as much. And I mean, I mean, people coming up every day for the last, you know, in, during the course of this last year, wow, saying when's Black Panther coming out? When's Black Panther coming out? I mean, I, I, I don't think I, I was ever prepared for that or, or had any idea that it would. I just don't know why it wasn't on my radar, but it, it, clearly, it's it's been this hugely wanted movie. I mean, yeah. it's just like, it's the time is now is there's been the feel of it, you know. And, yeah. um, you know, both, like you say, last night at the London premiere, but also in the LA premiere, the, uh-huh. the, the crowds just went berserk. Um, you know, <laughs> it, it was it was like this huge release. It was like a big, big release of, yeah. of energy. Yeah. Um, and the whole kind of outreach that this film has had you know the, the the charities that are you know buying tickets for people to go for, for young kids yeah. to go and see them you know in harlem for instance or for you know across across the states yeah. i'm seeing this as i mean i can't I, it's, it's hard to picture isn't it but if you imagine being a child a black child now yeah. uh, or person of you know an eth- eth- of ethnic minority or, or you know watching this film your first superhero movie and it's this yeah then this is your normality and from now yeah. on this will be the normality and this so the kind of the sea change is pretty massive this um, is it. you know not that they haven't been brilliantly made black movies before or, or yeah. that that they you know or they haven't been black lead characters before but but in a tentpole this movie of, of this, this scale, scale that yeah. is reached by billions across the planet this is a this is a landmark you know obviously uh, Claw is introduced in Age of Ultron. Uh, Ross is introduced in Civil War, as yeah. is as is T'Challa. But otherwise, you could go into this movie completely blind. You don't yeah. have to have seen Age of Ultron to to get no. your backstory. No, to get Claw's backstory. No, 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 absolutely not. And, and that's, that's I, and that's what again what I love about it because because there is a sort of uh, you know in the world of binge watching uh, this sort of terrible if you haven't watched them or you don't know them uh, any TV series or or film um, franchise if you you can you can feel excluded. You can feel like, oh, no, well, I've got, how long is it going to take me to catch up and get me up to speed with where all these characters are? And it really doesn't matter with this yeah. one. It's genuinely, you can, as you say, walk into it and it's, it's, a, it's like a fresh palette. You yeah. Know? And it doesn't set up the other movies. It doesn't, it doesn't no. take a, a detour to suddenly go, and now we have the sixth Infinity Stone. No. And that, that's fine. I like that. I'm a huge Marvel fan and I yeah. love when they do that. But I thought this was really interesting. I spoke to Ryan Cooker the other day about how self-contained it was and yeah. whether there was pressure on them to you know incorporate other references. But... Uh, but he said no. He said he was. He had the, the the utter freedom to make this movie, and it's a movie that I I can't help but feel 
doesn't get made 10 years ago. Mm. Maybe gets made five years ago, mm-hmm. but it's very, very different if it gets made five years ago. Mm-hmm. The, the fact that this movie embraces its uh, Africanness, if that's a word, yeah. it was extraordinary to me. Yeah, I, no, I totally agree. I mean, it, it's, it's sort of the majority of the film is centered around that world. And and it, uh, it and it's so smart that it, it sort of bucks expectation as well. It's, you know, that this outer covering and what Ulysses Claw would see is uh, a hypocrisy because he thinks, you know, they're, they're, they're trading on this notion that every, the rest of the world thinks they're poor mm. and, and yet they're sitting on the, the greatest mineral resource ever known to man and they're you know so 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 that's what his that was my approach into the into into the character is that because of course when you're playing when you're playing the the dark end of the spectrum um as a villain you you're uh, you, you you have to find a morally justifiable way of operating because that's what okay. you do, isn't it? Okay, actor. yeah. And so I, I think him trying to sort of unpicking this hypocrisy made me feel like you know I'm doing the right thing, which is of course what you what you have to do. You know, that's that's see, <laughs> see that's that's interesting because I, I've I've talked to a lot of actors over the years, as, as you know, and a lot of actors say of playing a bad guy. He's not bad. He's, you know, you have to see it from his point of view. <laughs> but come on, Andy. Ulysses Claw is a bad man. He's, I mean, surely he must know that what he's doing, he's doing it for shits and giggles, and he has a big smile on his face all the way through. He's, he's, he's loving yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, look, on, 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 yes, he is. He's unhinged, <laughs> and but his mother loves him. And, you know. Uh, <laughs> I want to meet his mum now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of mother loves that son? Well, you know, she's listened to his mixtapes, and she... <laughs> <laughs> um, so and actually, I'm going to assemble a Ulysses Claw mixtape, by the way. So uh, I'll probably come back to you on that. Please do give me the SoundCloud link. Okay, I will do. So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I mean, I think I think it's important, you know, that 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 especially kind of how he functions in this particular story. You you, you want to he, he is an agent of chaos, and he is a, he's an arms dealer. He's a gangster. He's a, you know he works with governments, and um, you know he in order to, to be able to do that, you have to feel like you could spend an evening with him, sitting in a bar, sitting in a ca- you know or a cafe, or doing a meeting, and and actually being seduced by him in some way. So I, w- I wanted to make that that play really that that you could sort of enjoy him and then think, oh my god, what am I doing? You know, <laughs> um, and that he could turn at any given point. Um, yeah. He's like a, he's like a, a Marvel version of Frank Booth and Blue Velvet. Right, exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> in, a, in a weird way. Exactly. Uh, but he, he, he looks like a character you had enormous fun playing. No, not at all. No, it was really, <laughs> it was, it was really strained and difficult. No, it was, <laughs> it was a horrible technical yeah, it was exercise. Horrible, horrible. And, and working with Martin Freeman again. Ugh. You know, no, it was that really, guy, yeah, that bloody guy. guy. Oh, God. Um, not Bilbo again. Oh no! You know, no, no, no. It was pretty, it here's was, another. Here's another riddle. Yeah, here yeah, we go. Yeah. I know that was the other thing. I didn't actually know when, because I, I, I somehow I didn't see um, Civil War. So when okay. I found out that right. Martin was playing Ross, it's good. Film. I was you completely shocked. And I and then I and then when I read the script, it was less like, oh my god, we've got scenes together, and it really made me. It really, so when I turned up. You know, and and Martin had been there a little time before I actually turned up on set. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was just joyful seeing him again, yeah. and just really good fun. And we had a ball. We we actually had a ball doing it together, and because uh, I got my, a lot of my stuff with him, obviously. And then yeah. Ryan just really, he, you know, he really he really does keep you in the moment, and he's really oh, he's such a great director. He created such a great vibe on set. It was fun. It was cool. It was it was just like you know we're really gonna really mine these moments and, 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 and try different things and you know it just gave us freedom to explore and have fun you know so there, there seems 
from my eyes, there's a fair amount of improv in this movie. I imagine you singing Baby Don't Hurt Me. Yeah, that, that wasn't scripted. That was yeah. sort of, uh, you know, it came out of me sort of, you know, doing some sort of f- funky beats and, and, you know, sort of making these... And sing, singing other songs actually, and then uh, and then and then we, we you know and then this is the one that he stuck with you know, um, but it but and then Martin Martin finding barely being able to contain himself coming through the door he said he said he really struggled actually and that, and that, and there is that deliciousness actually of of being on the um, of being on the edge of uh, hysteria at times that can be really great as an actor you know when yes. you when you actually you're in character and you're vibing off the other actor and then but there are these moments where because you know that person that you yes. sail very close to, <laughs> to 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 uh, look kind of losing it in a way, and you're, but you're totally present, and it is a wonderful. What did you know about Black Panther when you when you signed on to do Age of Ultron? Did you? Well, obviously, I had to start looking at the 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 context of the character in Black Panther because that was that's where he comes about. You know, so you, so you were told about this movie when you signed on for Age of Ultron. No, no, no. I no, I looked at the the Black Panther comics okay. before Age of Ultron. Sure, and so I didn't know that. I I, I I thought, well, look, if there ever is a Black Panther, that it would be likely that Claw would appear because he's you know the major one of the major adversaries yep. for, for him. So, um, so I thought, but then the course of the, the comic version of Claw is I'm glad we didn't go that way quite frankly I've had enough of Lycra and uh, you know wearing a pink leotard you know and uh, and uh, with a megaphone on the end of your arm not particularly a good look I thought so I don't know I think he, I think he could pull it off you've, 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 you've done weirder let's put it that way well yes but pink I don't know you know uh, <laughs> But yes, so so I thought how, so. But anyway, I mean, because of course, Claw, when he's, you know, he is of a South African descent. He is a, a, a Boer uh, yes. character. He's he's you know would have been around at the time of sort of pre, uh, well, during the apartheid time. So his attitude towards uh, people of colour would not, would have been pretty brutal. Um, yeah. and the way that he refers to Killmonger is is pretty patronising. He calls him boy. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah. Um, he's he's you know he's used to the old regime in South and South Africa. He still calls Wakandan savages, exactly. despite everything he knows about them. Yeah, absolutely. Because he's a big old racist. Yeah, he totally is. And he and he gets what's coming to him. Uh, and that's one of the spoilerific things I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Uh, uh, at what point did you know that you were not going to make it out? That you were that as far as as far as we know, you were done with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, I know, and it's not been a good year. I can tell you. Um, <laughs> I've watched you die on the big screen now. This is my third time in six months. It's yeah, not good. It's not <laughs> I've chewed up all my franchises. <laughs> you got to, yeah, you've got to start again. I know. Where am I going to go next? Um, no, it, 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 it was... Uh, it was... It was shocking, but it was... It was, you know, again it comes at exactly the right point in the story so that the handover then goes to, to Killmonger. As, and it's a good... He is really, actually, an amazingly big red herring, actually. Yeah. Um, so you don't realise that until that point. Um, I mean, look, I was very sad to see him go because I did love the character and I'd love to have done more um, with him. Um, but no, I can see totally why, why it needs to be that way because, again, in service of what this film is and where the message of the film really lies um, and the and the brilliant uh, performance of Michael Jordan Jordan's character as Killmonger who yeah, becomes yeah, yeah. the real nemesis but then of course what you realise about his character is that you almost you almost understand his worldview and, and yeah. emotionally you really do you suffer with him at the end as he but he's been deeply wronged yeah yeah 
Which is uh, really interesting. I mean, you know, very often is the, the, these movies about stark contrasts, good, evil, yeah. completely defined in that way. Absolutely. And that's what that, that is one of the strengths of this mm. movie. Um, it's very nuanced. Every single character, I think, you feel is a three-dimensional character, even as someone as out there as Ulysses Claw, hopefully. <laughs> uh, um, you know, you feel like they're re- they are real and that, yeah. uh, and that they exist as, as, as people and that they're not, um, yeah, they're not, they're not cartoon characters. And uh, we we spoke. I think the last time we spoke on the podcast was for War of the Planet of the Apes, and we talked then about your final scenes as Caesar and, mm. and how they were really emotional for mm-hmm. for you to to film. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you had an incredible attachment to that character uh, when you're filming Claw's final scenes or Snoke's final scenes, for example, in in the Last Jedi. What was that experience like for you? Is it similarly emotional? Are you as are you are you are you as attuned to those characters, having played them less often? I, I mean, it's, they're both in these cases um, sort of shock moments, really. So, mm-hmm. so with with Caesar, there is, I think, this is you know, it was having played him through his entire life, from you know, from birth to from infancy through to you know, through, through the whole long life that I spent and time that I spent with that character. There was a, uh, but also a sense of how Caesar leaves the world, which is um, I've brought my people to a my apes to a. To, yeah. to you know to where I think they're going to be safe so there is a, a real sense of letting go um, and and so there is that uh, there's a sort of inner joy and, and an acceptance and a, a, a peace as he slips away actually and, you know and feels that they'll be in, in good shape and good, in good hands and, and so as he sees his son from a distance he there is sadness but it's it's you know it is letting go at the right time whereas with these characters you know with Snoke um you know, it's it's very much a shock moment, so he doesn't have a lot of time to think about it. Um, and 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 yes, it's it's it is it is a loss. Uh, but uh, but and then and, and with Claw, you know, again, he's sort of he is one of those characters who is uh, you know I keep thinking of him as he is this agent of chaos, you know, yeah. and 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 in a way, he doesn't even put up resistance when he knows, when he knows, when he sees that uh, Killmonger has that, has the, has the Wakanda tattoo on the inside of his lip. Yeah. He knows he's yeah. done for. And it's sort of, it reminds me of that moment in Goodfellas, actually, where Joe Pesci walks into the bar. Yeah. And he just goes, oh, God, you know, it's, oh, no. You know, it's just like, oh, I didn't see that one coming. Boff, you know, yeah. and... Uh, yeah, it must be interesting through going through his head. I don't know what what, what you thought, what, what your preparations were for that moment, but this is a man who's gone toe to toe with the Avengers, you know, yeah. faced off with Ultron. Yeah, and this guy. Uh, yeah, exactly. This guy is the one who's going to kill me. Yeah, exactly. No, I know. It's just like what you know. It's really you know. Yeah. I mean, and 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 I wanted his death to feel. I did want his death to feel real, and and you know that that he. It happened so quickly. The turnaround happened so quickly, and it is a sh- it is a shock. I think it's a shock for the audience too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know my boys were very shocked when they saw it last <laughs> night. They were like, they were just they both, they both turned to me and were like, oh, <laughs> not another oh, one, another one. You know? <laughs> it really was. They all literally in sync turned around and were kind of like. <laughs> uh, you know, well, get, not yeah. made it to the end of another movie. Yeah, have to get cracking in those new franchise scripts. That's, that's for sure. That's for sure. And uh, what, what, what's with with reference to Snoke? When did you know? Oh, I knew. I knew. But you know, look, here's the deal. As, you, as I think I may have said to you before, but you, we only had very little time to read these scripts because you only got to read it like once. 
in in whole form, or I did anyway. Wow. Okay, and and it was on a tablet, so you can't take it away with you. <laughs> Excuse me, and um, and then you get these kind of uh, you know electronic readers, which are like big Kindles, basically. Yeah, um, and and so it's, I can't. I find it very hard to learn lines off of, off these things actually. But but anyway, um, you'd get that you'd get them for that day, and then then it would just be your scene on it, and it's so so. I, I, but but anyway, I read it for the first time. And I was like, oh, this is a great scene. Oh, my gosh, where's this going? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. Oh, dear. All right. Um, you know, it was it was a bit of a shock. But, I, but again, it was so... It's beautifully woven in. And I love what Ryan Johnson did with... with, with uh, with, with with that too you know and it's a great scene in the film I think it's you know it pissed a lot of people off because it's just like well who is he who is it you know but and I keep saying I keep putting out well look in the Snoke spin off I keep saying <laughs> you know, because it is Star Wars and who knows um, uh, I, keep, well, I think if I say it enough it'll become a reality well this, this is true do you know how William Shatner writes Star Trek novels I didn't know that. He does, yeah. He writes Star Trek novels. Uh, or used to. I mean, he's, he's written a couple, that's for sure. And uh, I think you could write your very own Snoke book. That is not a bad idea, actually. There you that go. That is a very, very good idea. And I'll put it on sale when the mixtape comes out. <laughs> but there does seem to be... I mean, this this is a, very much a closing of a chapter in your life of doing all these massive franchises back to back. Uh, I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry in a minute. <laughs> I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure you're fine. I'm sure it's all good. But uh, is that a deliberate thing or is it just completely coincidental? Are you looking to focus more on, on directing going forward? Um, it's it's certainly not intentional. Nothing to do with me. It's just yeah. the way it's gone. It's other people choosing uh, I mean, to kill absolutely. you off. Absolutely. Kind of, what have these people got against me? You know. Um, no, it, it's... It, look, I mean, uh, yes. Because you're notoriously I, difficult to work with, that's why. <laughs> yeah, I think they go, oh, get him out. <laughs> get him off my set now. Um, no, I, I, I um, look, I do, you know, you're directing, yes. I mean, Mowgli is finally coming out this year after a long period of time. Fantastic. Um, but I'm super excited about it. I really love it, and I love the way it's shaping up. We've got, we're three months away from completion. Oh, wow. And, okay. um, you know, we'll start to see some stuff. Material's going to start to hit the internet and trailers and all the rest of it. And, which I'm very excited about about this coming out. Um, you know, who knows how it will be accepted? You just don't know. Um, it is, as we've discussed before, it is a much darker telling of the tale and yep. uh, a tale about identity and, and otherness and, uh, you know, not belonging to the world of animal or man and having to, to basically create, you know, Mowgli creating his own v- version of himself, really. Mm. Um and and the, but the animal performances and well Rowan Chand who plays Mowgli is extraordinary I think he's a gifted child he really it really is he's given the most amazing performance and uh, and then and then the animals are are just you know they they are very emotionally connective and real and you know they represent different aspects of Mowgli's journey and and his tutorage and being brought into the world and and, and so I I mean I, I think it's you know, I, I, I hope. I just hope that um, it's all going to be about, about about the messaging of the film to get it out there to people, so yeah, that they, they 
feel that they are ready for an, for another you know essentially jungle book story but this one this one is so different it really is different um v- visually so visually and tonally you know when you say things like uh, the the animals feel real are you going for photorealism or is there more e- exaggerated they are they are photo real. You will believe okay. that they are a bear, a panther, but 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 creating license for them to talk so that so that the you you see, you will see the actors' faces in those performances. So so the design of the animals was crucial when wow, we okay. when we created them. We wanted them to obviously be the animal that they are. But if you imagine putting a panther at one end of the spectrum and then and then Christian Bale's face at the other, and then and then the designer morphed basically Christian Bale's face and a panther's, and then wow. if you go along the line at some point there's a sweet spot where you absolutely see both that's 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 the approach that we took because you know talking animals are notoriously difficult to pull off it's it's one thing to take the physiognomy of an actor and 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 turn turn my face into caesar's an ape's face is relatively similar humanoid in shape Mm -hmm. but to to get to to the skull and musculature of a a wolf or a snake or a a panther or a bear and to and yet to be able to really read emotionally what those characters are thinking and feeling you know the retargeting on 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 those characters is 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 enormous so we so i'm really glad we have had the time to to actually really develop that and i and I, i'm feeling now it's coming together it's it's it, it does work fantastic but what was it at first a, a source of frustration that there was a delay that that the film was pushed back uh, or at the same time is that a blessing in the disguise because it gives you a the time to to get it right and b it moves you away from the jungle book so you have that that gap you have that uh, i mean it is now i mean at the, at the beginning you know the, the the fact of the matter is we our our, our one was pretty much announced before Beforehand. the Disney yeah. one, and you know, and then it became a race, and then it became. There's no point in having a race, you know. Uh, we we need to take our time to get this right, and then and then I was able to go off and shoot. Well, you know, after we shot our version, we were then able to. I was able to go off and shoot Breathe in post production. So so, <laughs> you know, um, and and do Star Wars and do Black Panther, and and meanwhile I was able to still keep working. I was because when I was on set doing the Black Panther, I was when I wasn't on set, I was in a room in Atlanta. Atlanta, talking to everybody back in Frame Store in London, and an editorial in London working on Mowgli. So, <laughs> so it was so it was a kind of a crazy time. But but it's but and that that it's all coming to closure now. So it's, it's yeah. I'm looking forward to the next the next now. Andy, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you. Thank man. you so much. Take Fantastic. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. Okay, so that was Andy Circus, and he is the mocap king. And so I was a little bit surprised to find that he wasn't playing a dinosaur in this week's big release, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, because I thought that would have been just the sort of thing he would turn up on his day off, don the mocap onesie, and play a raptor. But no, doesn't seem to have done that. Hmm, that Strange. we know of. That we know of, precisely. So Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is the big release this week. It is the fifth movie in the Jurassic Park franchise, the second movie in this new trilogy and the sequel to the mega successful Jurassic World, which came out a few years ago and propelled by the box office power of Nick Dissemlian, as Edmund made $1.6 billion around the world. Now, uh, the director Colin Trevorrow has stepped aside to take producing and writing duties in this. Uh, he's replaced in director's chair by J.A. Bayona, director of Monster Calls and The Orphanage and The Impossible. And what has he cooked up for us, Helen? Well, um, he's cooked up a little bit of a spin on the formula. So we're, we're basically brought back to the, uh, the island, Isla Nublar, um, because there is a volcano. Its formerly dormant peak has become undormant and is threatening to 
erupt, basically threatening to kill all dinosaurs on the island. Uh, Claire, Bryce Dallas Howard's character, has rather improbably become a dinosaur rights activist. Uh, you would think that nearly being eaten by one might give her a pause, but no, she's still on the side of the lizards. Um, and so she's trying to campaign for them to be resettled somewhere for some kind of rescue mission. Her efforts seem in vain until uh, James Cromwell's, is it Lockwood, calls her in and says, I am an independently wealthy man. I used to work with Hammond and I'm going to help you out. He never mentioned me before. But I was definitely there. (laughs) Look, I've got his cane. He actually did. So it was nice. Yeah, I wasn't just making the show. No, it was all all put together. She goes and, uh, and recruits... Owen, which is Chris Pratt's character name, which I think we all remember really well. Owen Grady. Look at that. <laughs> you were reminded in the last week, guys. It's not that impressive. I know Owen Grady. Oh, I, I believe you. I, I, know, I, I know, know him. Do. No one Grady. Good Lord. Anyway, um, so she does this at the behest of Race Full, who is uh, Baddie McBadson, I believe is his, <laughs> his character name. But not yet. We think Eli. he's good. We think he's good uh, at this point. We do for a minute, but like a minute. He wears a waistcoat, for God's sake, with a with a jacket. Um, and he is kind of Lockwood's majordomo, and he basically um, sets Claire off on this mission. But it soon becomes clear that he's planning to steal the dinosaurs for himself and sell them to the highest bidder. What a fucker. What a bastard. It soon becomes clear because we've seen the trailer, which shows us all of this. Which shows us all of this, yes. And uh, this all happens basically in a, in a big old country house. So it's an interesting spin on the... Jurassic Park slash world slash formula because suddenly it's almost like a weirdly gothic haunted house movie while also being a Jurassic Park movie, which is an interesting combination. Mm-hmm. There is, of course, an adorable Moppet who is threatened by the whole thing and, and she has to be rescued by Owen and Claire. Cool. Um, we hope. Or maybe she'll be eaten by a dinosaur. I don't want to give anything away. She might be. Is it scary? You know what? I was scared. I think this is one of the scarier Jurassic Park, Jurassic films, let's say, at this point. Um, and I think there's some interesting ideas about which Jeff Goldblum gets in his all too brief appearance in front of a Senate committee where he's basically explaining, you know, this genetic power to create life cannot be put back in the box. Life, if you will, finds a way. Um, uh, uh, yes. Uh, um, uh, uh, finds a way. <laughs> finds a way. And, uh, and that's essentially what's going on here. So we're seeing kind of dinosaurs get out of the control of one corporation and kind of maybe be spread more widely, potentially. Oh, very exciting. Uh, Bayona is a very, very good director. I've liked all three of his previous movies. What does he bring to this? Does he handle it? Does he handle it well? Is he, he's quite a Spielberg disciple. Does it feel like a, a bit of a Spielberg, Spielbergian I mean, there are so many nods to the Spielberg movies. There is a um, set piece in one, of, is it called a gyroscope? Those big balls that they... Gyroscope, yeah. 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 So that, which is very similar to the the trailers in The Lost World where the glass is cracking. There's a similar action scene there. There's And there's lovely visual nods to it throughout where... Do you remember in the first one where she's trying to pull that thing down in the kitchen and the raptor's running towards her? There's a similar scene with a dumbwaiter in mm-hmm. the old country house. So he's got those nods to um, Spielberg's films all the way through. Yeah, he does. Uh, and, of course, I mean, he did The Orphanage, which and the haunted house... Ha- it's not haunted, it's dinosaur-ridden house. <laughs> the big country house at the end, that's all very similar in, um, you know, gothic scares and shadows and everything yeah. everywhere. Mm. There's some cool new dinosaurs and some less cool dinosaur decisions, I thought. Okay. So um, on one hand, you know, I think the T-Rex is still great and, and is still used in a very Spielbergian way. Um, there's a, what's it, Pachylosaurus or something? The, the dinosaur the with a really one. hard yeah. head who is brilliant and instantly became my favourite. Um 
I wasn't so keen on the new bad dinosaur who's kind of Ooh, following no. in the no. footsteps of the Indominus Rex. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So this is time. the Indoraptor. Indoraptor. Which is, I mean, they make a point of how he is like slightly crazy. So he's got like ticks and like good. And then, like, tips, taps his, uh, has it, like, gets the shakes. Okay. He, he's a crazy dinosaur. She, probably. She's a crazy dinosaur. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, so that was, I mean, creepy, but not maybe as good as some kind of baddie dinosaurs we've had before, if you will. And my big, my big problem with the film, if I'm honest, is that velociraptors. And I feel like velociraptors last time got a bit of a do-over, so they suddenly became not the big bad, but... Well. Or little bad. What were you saying about the jugger? Exactly. This is exactly <laughs> what prompted it. Um, they got a bit of a makeover last time, but this has gone even further towards velociraptors are our friends, really. And I just, I'm not there for They'll it. They'll have your face off. They would have your face. And this is what annoys me. Like, they can't be the good guys. Like, the T-Rex the has always been sort of the good guy in the in these films, but only in the sense that if he didn't notice you, you were fine. And he was too big to notice you most of the time. He always had somebody else he wanted to... She. To, she. You're right. She always had somebody else that she wanted to kill more than you. That's why she would accidentally Gennaro. save you. Yeah. Whereas, you know, this has literal velociraptors acting altruistically, and I just have a problem with that. So the, f- the last movie is going to say the first movie. The first movie is, of course, one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah. The, the last movie, Jurassic World... I, it's a sort of film that, if it's even mentioned on Twitter, will get an absolute kicking. There will be people, <laughs> people will log on, specific people will get notifications saying, oh, they're talking about Jurassic World on Twitter, I must pile on. And they just log on to Twitter just to go, it's shit, and then they run away again. And even at the time, it was quite divisive. And people genuinely, like Cat Brown, our, our friend Cat mm-hmm. Brown, thinks it's one of the worst sequels ever made, if not the worst sequel ever made. I have never understood that. I've always thought I really that the, love it, yeah. yeah, Jurassic World. Yeah. It's not a great movie, but it's for me the best Jurassic Park sequel, and yeah, does a lot too. of things right. Does a lot of things wrong. Obviously, the whole Claire running <laughs> in heels business. Yeah, you know, which okay. they which they I'm sure make they a joke of yeah. here. Um, I I was a bit mixed on the last one. I have to say I was I was in the Lake District recently and turned on TV and thought that Jurassic Park was on. I was like, ooh. And then the, the you know it took a second for the, the picture to come up and it was actually Jurassic World and I'd misread it and I, and there was a real moment of Ugh. so really? yeah I, I really don't understand that. I mean I, I think it's I mean it was fun but I watched it obviously right, like, okay. I'm not a monster but <laughs> you know it, it's it, it is a it's a real climb down and I would I would put the Lost World I would, if I were ranking the Jurassic films I'd put the Lost World Ooh, should we well do a really quick above. ranking go really quick uh, mini episode of the ranking hello everyone I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the ranking is this an episode of I love the ranking. I love the ranking, yes. <laughs> this is probably actually, for me, it's one, two, three, five, four. Oh, okay. Okay. I'd go one, four, three, two. But with the caveat that I have not yet seen five, I'm going to see it this weekend. I would say one, four, two, three, five. Ooh. Thanks. Well, <laughs> there we go. That was, uh, that was yeah. Oh, well. They weren't that fairy those lists, but so many fine films, but okay. So there you go, that was the episode of the ranking. Uh, so what did we make of this film overall? We gave it, as a magazine, as an entity, four stars. So I'm very excited to see how it, how it comes out. Uh, are we happy with that? Yeah, are we good with I, that? Yeah. I, I'm, I, I, yeah, I can see it. I, I'm probably slightly leaning more towards a 
three personally, but not. I'm not far off. Um, I I enjoyed a lot I mean, of it, and I was it divided scared. the office. I think yeah. I was. There scared. were moments that were scary, which and I don't think it's been properly scary since the first one, which is basically a horror. Mm. Um, <laughs> At times, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've had that argument before. What's so? What does it do wrong? Because again, I've seen people being divided on Twitter. I've seen people go, it's a lot of fun, it's more fun than the last one. And I've seen other people like David Ehrlich go, this is a dreadful, dreadful film, th- run as far and as fast. I think the character work is, is poor. Okay. Generally speaking, I still find both leads quite annoying. And I like both actors in other things. Yeah. So I don't think it's them. Okay. I found the supporting characters... There is there is one character who is there as comic relief who I did not find funny in the is slightest. Justice Smith. When I was, the I was I, yeah, I was trying to be Franklin. nice and. But the thing is, I love him as an actor. Like I, I find him so hugely empathetic in like the rundown in Paper Towns. He, I just want the best for him, and I, I, you know, I, I just want to protect him from all the world. I think he's so wonderful in them, yeah. and and so and I agree that he did not make an impact here, and I feel like that's the film failing its actors rather than the. Oh, absolutely, film, yeah. Because you know? it, it's not; it can't just be him. Because I think the comedy falls flat quite Across a lot the, in yeah, the film. Yeah, yeah. Blimey! So, Four so stars. Yeah. But I mean, there, but like I said, there are there are great dinosaur moments and and really scary scares. Yeah. Four stars then for Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom, and the other film of note this week. Full disclosure: none of us have yet seen it, but we're very excited to see it. And it is McQueen, which is a documentary about the late fashion designer Alexander McQueen, uh, or Lee Lee McQueen is his real name, and Alexander is his um, middle yes. name, which yes. is he used because it was posher. Hmm. Uh, so it's a documentary in, in almost two parts. It's his rise to fame in the nineties and all the crazy stuff that was going on there. Lots of footage from his um, shows, which were really visually arresting. And then obviously we then moved to the sadder end of his uh, life and career as um which you know because at the end he obviously committed suicide mm. uh, and yeah but it's a, a by all accounts a tremendous documentary um really good on the 90s stuff mm-hmm. and you know really well emotional and sad by the end yeah and i guess brought into sharp relief and and made perhaps even more relevant in a strange way by the the death this week, the tragic death this week of, of Kate Spade. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it just goes to show how success and apparently a wonderful life is no protection against the awful disease that is depression. And uh, yeah, lots of love to her family and friends this week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have to say, I was always a McQueen sceptic and then I went to the exhibition that the V&A did on him a couple of years ago and uh-huh. it was phenomenal. Absolutely incredible work. So I am very much going to see this this weekend, and I'm sorry I have not seen it already. Indeed. Uh, likewise. Uh, I haven't seen a lot recently. The old day job has been getting in the way. But uh, well, I know that people think my day job is to watch films. It isn't always. Uh, it's to edit so podcasts. It's to edit podcasts. That's largely what it's becoming. But uh, I do really want to see this film as well. And we gave it... Four, four stars. We four gave stars. It, yeah. Four stars then for McQueen uh, also. Uh, and by the way, I should say as well, our Jurassic World spoiler special with Colin Trevorrow and Juan Antonio Bayona will be up on June 26th. So we're holding it back until after the US release. And um, so there, that's it. That's all I wanted to say. Just cool. let, just wanted to let you know that's what's happening. Uh, because that is it for this week's Empire Podcast brought to you by Sky Cinema. Join us next week for more film-related fun. Well, we'll be joined by the great Alfred Molina. Oh. 
Ooh. Very excited about that. He is in town doing a new, well, not new play, but a new version of the play Red. I have an out-of-date fact about him. Go on then. He was, at one point, he was the person with the most Lego minifigures of his characters. I know that. I interviewed him around that time. Yeah, because he had the Indiana Jones one, he had the Spider-Man one, and he had one other, which would have been... Prince of Persia. There we go, Prince of Persia. (laughs) Can you imagine such a thing? I also have a fact about him. When I went to do that interview with him, he he did this massive double take when I walked into the room and then looked at me really weirdly. He thought you were Harrison Ford. He told me that apparently (laughs) I I am really uncannily like a girl he used to date in college and almost married. Oh, I use that line all the time. (laughs) Well, I'm just saying... Chris, actually, I was about to say to you, yeah? you look uncannily like a girl I used to date. <laughs> I have a fact about Alfred Molina. What's yours? He has the power of the sun in the palm of his hand. I know that. There we go. Uh, and we may also be joined by a mystery guest. So, mm, exciting. What could, what, what could it be? Who could it be? <laughs> Is it James Dyer? It's not James Dyer. Uh, we've locked the doors. We've barricaded the doors, made sure he can't just waltz in halfway through a podcast like uh, he tends to do. Uh, but until then, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from Johnny Pyle. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hey, wait, is this an episode of It's Goodbye from Johnny Pyle? I think it might be. Hey, everyone, uh, this is Chris Hewitt. And this is Johnny Pyle. And we're saying goodbye from Johnny Pyle. Goodbye, everyone. Good ep. Great ep. Great okay. ep. Great. Uh, it's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodle pip. And it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. I am off to watch Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom at some point this week. I'm very excited because I hear it has more dinosaurs in it than the Tory party conference. Boom. <laughs> Bit of political satire for you there just to end the podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Other political parties are available. Bye. <laughs>